It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Bracha are coming at you. We're going to break down UFC 260. Nikolai, how are you, buddy? I'm all right, ready to crush you. Ready to crush me, Nick, after all of these losses? I'm surprised that you have this level of confidence. They're not, lo- they're not really... Lo- it's... Come on. You're eking out split decisions, so let's just shut your mouth and get in the cage. All right, Nikolai's motivated. I like it. You've been putting some training in, Nick? A motivated Nick Bracha. A C-level Nick Bracha. <laughs> I feel like that'll make all the difference. Full training camp, Nick Bracha. <laughs> Seeing a sports psychologist, Nick Bracha. <laughs> Although, I, 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 I will say, I've been doing Weight Watchers, and I'm not sure if I'm at a new weight class, but I feel like I might be one weight class below. The question is, will the power carry so, over, Nick? There's that, too. Will the power carry over, or will he be too, will he be too drawn out? We'll see how, how Rogan thinks I look on the scale. Yeah, because that's really what's going to decide how he's going to call the fight, regardless of what's actually happening in the fight. All right, Nikolai, let's get into this. Let's talk about UFC 260 this Started off as something to really look forward to, and I think at this point we're we're at nine or ten fights, depending on whether that Shane Young Omar Morales fight will come through, and we're looking at a car that's been ravaged, man. Like, essentially, spare parts, baby. Yeah, spare parts. Yeah, essentially, outside of that yeah, main well, event, if the rules would fade. This is not the best car that we're putting out there for the people. <laughs> Nick, why does that only show up? The Mac and Dream. <laughs> Why did it take What's 95 that? episodes for that to come through on the MMA Geeks Level podcast? Now? For, Dusty, for Dusty Rhodes to make an appearance. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I'll say to you, Stan <laughs> right, I am uh, very much looking forward to the main event, but man, is that about it on this card? There's maybe two other fights that are worth kind of getting into, and that's the O'Malley-Almeida fight. I guess Shane Young-Morales has some value to it. And, and then outside of that, we have the Tyron Woodley-Vincente-Luque matchup. So essentially, I said this last week, I think this card could really just be a, a ESPN Plus Fight Night card with Tyron Woodley-Vincente-Luque at the top of the billing with all the rest of these guys under him. Um, there's nothing that says pay-per-view about this except for the main event. Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic. I agree with you, except for the, the fact that I don't think that the UFC would put Tyron Woodley on top of a fight night card right now. Well, he's he's getting paid a lot of money, which is why I think they keep giving him incredibly rough matchups on top of the fact that they really don't like that guy. And when Tyron Woodley would win, he would always give the UFC a hard time when he could. And the UFC doesn't take kindly to that, especially once you start to lose. That's why I think they're putting him in basically the worst possible style matchups. Um, I think they want to let him go after this loss if he does end up losing in this one. I do think he has a higher chance in this fight than he did in his prior three bouts. But, yeah, I mean, he's coming off of, what is it, uh, 14 and a half rounds of just losing almost every second. So not a good look for Tyron Woodley at this point in his career. But let's get into it, buddy. Uh, Which one of us has the first pick this time? I believe. I think it's you, unfortunately, for me. All right. Um, I believe you picked uh, Macy Chazon. So my first pick, Nikolai, this is a tough one. There's a couple of decent ones to choose from. I'm going to go with the co-main event, or at least what I assume is the co-main event in the Tyron Woodley-Vincente Luque matchup. We all know Woodley is an NCAA wrestler, hard right hand, uh, backs up against the cage, doesn't really throw any offense, especially for the last couple of years. He was always a low-output fighter. He was always easy to pressure but it seems like his power in his right hand just suddenly disappeared. Um, I know he's he went through a divorce, and, and word out there is that, really, he's been partying and not really focused on fighting, at least leading up to his losing streak. Luke is a pressure fighter. Tyron Woodley backs himself up against the fence. Luke throws what feels like hundreds of strikes per round, and Tyron Woodley throws what feels like two strikes per round. Tyron Woodley's corner keeps asking him to throw a combo, and he doesn't. And he, he tells his corner, like, I know what I need to do, but I can't pull the trigger. I see no reason to think why this would be any different. Um, here's the thing. Luke will pressure forward, and, and he can get countered, as, as we saw in his one recent loss to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So there's a chance that Woodley cracks him with that right hand. But when Woodley did land that right hand against guys like Gilbert Burns, a former lightweight who got knocked out by a jab against the champ, didn't really have any effect. So I don't really believe in Woodley's power anymore. Um, and 
I don't know that he can use his wrestling here knowing that he's going to get exhausted. I think that's a big part of the reason he has been using his wrestling offensively over the last couple of years. There's a chance he might be willing to use it in this one because uh, it's a three-round fight and he doesn't have to worry about gassing late, but I'm going to take Luke here. I think he's going to be busier. I think he's going to nick him up, hurt him. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's going to finish him in three rounds if his prior three opponents weren't able to within that time period, but I do like Luke in this one to uh, put the output out there and really mark up Tyron Woodley and send him on his way to probably Bellator. Yeah, I mean, I'd be crazy to, to suggest anything different. Like, maybe it's just no... no no intelligent person can pick Tyron can pick Tyron Woodley here based on what he's shown in the last two years. Yep. Um, I think I think Luke is going to uh, piece him up. I think we're going to see some nasty knees. Um, I actually I actually think we might get the finish um, where he ha- where he hasn't been finished against other guys. Mostly because Luke is, th- is more throw caution to the wind. I think he'll go. Um, I think he'll go for the murder shot, and I think he'll take bigger risks than those other guys. Um, which could, you know, he's. I think he's going to bet. I think he's just. Gonna, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he just bets that Woodley doesn't have it, um, and maybe leaves himself a little bit more exposed in the process. But I could just. I could see him landing big knees, big hands, um, and just o- overwhelming Woodley. And hopefully, then we don't have to watch or listen to him anymore. And it is, I think, worth mentioning that Tyron Woodley's three losses, the only three losses he's had in several years, are to Florida fighters. And Luque's a Florida fighter. There's got to be something in the water, Nick. And also, Luque's, two of Luque's training partners, uh, former or current, uh, between the champ and uh, Gilbert Burns, were two of the guys that beat Woodley. So you would assume that Luque had several conversations with, with both guys to get the lowdown on what to be cautious of, where he feels strong, etc. So yeah, I, I like Luque here all the way. Um, so for my first pick, I'm, and this, this may be a little risky because I don't particularly like this guy, but I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Sean O'Malley against the extremely faded, uh, Thomas Almeida. I, the, the fact of the matter is O'Malley is a, is a, is a, has been a better, smoother and more effective version, uh, of Almeida, whether or not O'Malley's got, um, the same chin problems that Almeida has, I think, is TBD. I mean, we saw his calves get lit up. Um, I don't think I don't think Almeida's got the the, the power. Um, to, we haven't seen him employ that kind of that kind of game before. I I think this may be it may be a little bit flashy. It might it might be fun, but I suspect uh, I suspect O'Malley is going to get uh, is going to get a finish here. I just don't. Um, Almeida's you know after his comeback, he looked okay. I suppose against um, oh my god Martinez the guy that the guy that yeah against Martinez I mean he he definitely got beat he didn't look he didn't look completely awful but I think O'Malley's just you know very creative I think he's gonna have Almeida biting on a lot of stuff um, and I I feel like he'll probably Almeida will probably walk into a trap and get uh, finished in uh, stunning fashion. Yeah, I would not be surprised. There's several variables to this matchup. We all know O'Malley's a sharp, fast striker, especially early on. About as fast, I I think, as it gets at 135 pounds. Seen as a serious prospect leading up to that loss to Marlon Vera. Um, And he just seems to have leg issues, right? Very fragile legs. We saw it against Andre Sukumtat. We saw it against Marlon Vera in his last bout. And he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of heart once that does happen. We've seen guys survive calf kicks and still win fights. We've seen guys go to decision and not fall down and flail the moment their calf gets nicked. This guy just fell onto his back. And then in regards to O'Malley's chin, Marlon Vera landed a couple elbows and knocked him out clean, right? So, you know, you don't usually see Marlon Vera finishing guys like that early in a fight. Not a great sign, I think, for O'Malley's heart or his chin, for that matter. And then Almeida, he's a solid hammer, but not a very good nail. When he can put it on opponents without pushback, he shines, right? But when an opponent starts putting it on him, he tends to lose the will to win, it seems like. He also doesn't have a very good chin, right? Durability issues on this guy. Almeida mentioned in an interview recently that he would be throwing calf kicks. 
I think that's his route to win this one since he doesn't have the chin or reach to deal with O'Malley at a distance, but I'm not convinced he has the confidence or chin to follow through. So I'm picking O'Malley to clip him early and finish the fight. If he can't finish early and takes a couple of calf kicks in that first round, I could see, uh, I could see Almeida winning a decision as he kind of takes over the second half of the bout. Uh, O'Malley hasn't looked great in second and in, in third rounds thus far in the UFC. So, look, I, I think yeah, the odds I are way be too surprised. wide. But I agree with the pick. They, they, might be, they might be too wide. If Almeida does land a calf kick and it bothers O'Malley, I actually think that O'Malley is a good enough athlete and maybe hasn't shown us quite as many wrinkles. I wouldn't be surprised knowing that it's not like Almeida is a sprawl master if O'Malley gets a takedown and, and, and subs him. I, would not, I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a trick like that ready, mostly because I think Almeida wouldn't be able to handle it and is maybe susceptible. Um, but I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, I feel like we haven't yeah, seen a lot of ground of game from either guy. We've only seen O'Malley on his back, and he hasn't looked great there. Um, but I, I don't remember much about Almeida on his back. I know he didn't spend much time there in his last bout uh, within the last year. But, yeah, it, it would be interesting. I think either guy getting a takedown could change the tide of this fight. And Almeida did try for takedowns in his last fight against Martinez as he was kind of getting pieced up from a distance. So it's possible. My next pick, I'm going to take... Uh, in the Alonzo Manifield, Fabio, is it Fabio Charon? Charon? I like these French names, Nick. Charon. Charon. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun to pronounce. Um, Charon is 7-1, and one, trains at Lausanne MMA, took this fight on a few days' notice, coming off of a five-round LFA title win last month. He lost to Alexa Kamoran almost, uh, I think it was two years ago on Contender Series, but that was his first opponent with a winning streak at the time, right? He was fighting a bunch of bums up until then. He's a fast southpaw with low output and some power in his left hand. Throws plenty of leg kicks, particularly side kicks to the leg are fairly effective, I, I think, at keeping people at a distance. Menifield is athletic, strong, heavy hands, trains out of Fortis MMA. He got outgrinded by Devin Clark and then big brothered by OSP, who caught him coming in for a knockout in that second round of their bout. A competitive bout overall, I would say, by the way. Two and two in the UFC now, so this is a step back in rankings and competition for him. I assume... Menefield has been working on his conditioning since the Devin Clark loss. Uh, Clarant took the fight on very short notice, but he's coming off a five-round title fight a month and a half ago, so he should be in good shape. I think Menefield pressures him back and outlands him. If he really wants it, the finish is there. If Menefield is very cautious, this could end up being a competitive decision that could possibly go either way. Um, I, I think if Menefield can put it on him early, that can make a big difference. So I've got Menefield here, but not as much confidence as I should have given the odds. Yeah, same. You never know. You never know with these, hey, what are you up to? Nick Bracha? Like, we just had somebody get COVID fights. Um, I think you might be muted. Oh, sorry, I was, on, I, was on, I was on mute. My bad. Sorry, you'll have to edit this out. Um, Andrew just mentioned to me he was start, he's starting a call, so I was going to... I'm going to... Oh, got he it. He hasn't started it yet, but I'm getting in the habit of, mute, of muting when you're talking, so you don't pick up any back chatter. He's in a different room, but got you it, don't know. It about you know so i was just trying to protect the integrity of the the, the integrity anyway. nick wow look um, at you. thank you buddy yeah so here yeah you got it so yeah you know i i hear you i was my pick on this fight is also is also menafield although i haven't had time to watch uh any tape on charant but you never you just never i mean first of all we've seen menafield get you know get trounced um again like we said with almeida a great hammer not a great nail um so we've seen it you know we've seen it both ways but with these guys coming in on two, three, four, five days notice, it's been a real, you know, more than a, more than a couple of them have, as, uh, as Matt Sarah would say, shocked the world. Yeah. Um, so, or, or at least like shocked the, the seven or eight people who were really excited about the early three <laughs> um, So, so I, I, I'm the picks with you, but yeah, I don't know what the hell's going to happen here. <laughs> better, better your pick than mine. Um, enough. What's your next one, bud? Oh boy, do I? The question is, do I have? Do I have the balls to do it this early? I wonder what that could be. Is it the main event? Do it, Nick. I am. I'm going to do, do it. it. I'm just going to call the main event. I like both of these guys. Uh, quite a bit, but I am going to pick Stipe Miocic to repeat and defeat Francis the Predator in Ghana. I love it, Nick. Tell me more. Um, which, 
Well, and it would, you know, it would sort of relegate Ngannou to being the, the Anthony Johnson of his era. Yeah. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, Miocic is very smart, savvy. He fights with incredible composure. He's got terrific stamina. He's got very, very good hands. He's so calm, cool, and collected in there. Just rewatching that that first fight, he got out of that first round just rolling with all of the shots. Amazing head movement. Is there luck involved there? I mean, may, like maybe to some extent, but he never, you know, he ne- he looked in trouble a couple times, but he, he never he never looked lost. Yeah, luck has maybe a little bit to do with it, but I think his durability was a factor too. Yeah, and I think that's mostly still there. Um, I think that Stipe's, certainly his stamina, his well-roundedness as a mixed martial artist, his remarkable composure in the face of grave danger, I I think that fighters who are going to beat Stipe have to do it like Cormier did, by being really, really crafty. Like, Cormier propelled Miocic into a shot that he did not see coming, that he didn't even know was in the vicinity. I think he's going to be ready and that he's got the ability in defense. Maybe there was a little bit of luck in the first, time, in the first fight, but he, he, he took evasive action, uh, and, he, and he rolled with shots. And he also has a durability. Yes, he was knocked out by Cormier since then, um, and maybe part, who knows, maybe part of being knocked out by Cormier had to do with the damage that he took from Ngannou. But he just, I think he's got enough tools to get through the first three to four minutes without uh, suffering a nuclear blow. And I don't think that Ngannou has had the cage time uh, or has the body type or the style to remain dangerous to a fighter as cagey and resourceful as Stipe um, after, you know, I think, I think the danger goes down. After three minutes, it's less, da- it's less dangerous. Not impossible to get knocked out, but less dangerous. After a round and a half, I think it starts to become unlikely that Stipe gets caught with the big one. As, he, as long as he's able to get those takedowns and tire out Ngannou. And remember, he also hit, even in that first round, he hit Nganu with some clean monster shots, as big as anything that Stipe uh, took. Now, Miocic took, certainly, there were bigger shots coming his way, but he didn't take them full force because he was, he was rolling with shots. He was defending. Um, he was elusive, and as I said earlier, he was evasive. Uh, Nganu didn't quite know what to do and took some, took some right on the button. Multiple shots, straight shots, hooks, right on the button. He ate yep. them too. He's super durable. But frankly, in Stipe's shots hurt Nganu visibly uh, worse. I don't know about accum- cumulatively, but uh, individual shots of Stipe's affected Nganu more than any singular shot from Nganu uh, impacted Miocic. Now, Except for that shot done, that closed his eye, I would say. But overall, I hear you. But even that, he he didn't look as oh he didn't look as dazed or oh shit no, like true. he didn't he didn't lose his composure, open his mouth and be like whoa, 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 you know like he didn't look like he had been hit by Little Mac and Punch Out and yeah. that's what that's what Ngannou looked like after he ate some of those shots. So it's yes, Ngannou can knock him out. He can knock out anybody. But I think if anyone's got the skills, the confidence after those two Cormier defeats, you know, in there out out. Uh, styling, outcrafting, outthinking, and performing uh, one of the smartest, cagiest, craftiest fighters in the history of the UFC, in the history of the sport, and Daniel Cormier, I just don't see uh, a singular power puncher taking our boy out. I just don't. Um, I won't be shocked, but I believe that the champion deserves to be the favorite going into this fight. I'm there with you. I think Stipe is in that almost Jan Blachowicz territory where he's just constantly the underdog, even though he's clearly a great fighter, and he just like keeps being an underdog, and he keeps beating the people that are and, supposed to be favorites over him. And at times, an all-time even, right? great fighter. Let's be Absolutely. clear, an all-time great fighter, not just like the heavyweight of the moment or 
you know, okay, he's champ. He's the he is the most successful heavyweight in the history of the UFC. Absolutely agreed. Here's the thing, right? We you have the argument of probably only two fighters that you can argue are ranked above Stipe or in line with Stipe when it comes to their all-time heavyweight careers, right? We have Fyodor Milenenko from back in the Pride days, and then we have Cain Velasquez from, you know, kind of the last king of the UFC heavyweight division who truly, you know, held court for a little while like Stipe. Fedor Emelianenko fought a bunch of cans in between some really good opponents. And that's just the way the pride worked, right? It wasn't like Fedor's team was like, he will not fight this tough guy. Give him the largest, fattest former sumo wrestler you can find him. It's that that's who pride gave him. But fact of the matter is that he only fought probably maybe two or three truly all-time greats Fedor did. Some of those guys that he fought, you know, uh, Heath Herring, et cetera, these weren't like elite heavyweights, right? Mark Coleman and, and Kevin Randleman. And some of the uh, upper-tier heavyweights later in his career, he didn't do so well against them. Honestly, he was about the same age as Stipe is now. And then we have uh, Cain Velasquez, who largely, you know, extremely talented, probably more talented than Stipe or Francis, but his injury rate was an issue. His his durability at some points was an issue, right? Up against Francis Ngannou, he didn't do much wrong, except he came into a striking range of Francis and got shut off almost immediately. But Stipe has defended that heavyweight title more than anyone else has. He's done it three times in a row, which nobody else has. And then the one time he lost after those three defenses was arguably a fluke, given how the fights played out with Daniel Cormier in the second and third the second or third. Time. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was a fluke. I think he made a mistake. I think taking a punch against Daniel Cormier in the clinch has never been a major mistake for anyone else in the history of Daniel Cormier's career. Maybe, yeah, maybe for Patrick Cummins, it's a mistake to get hit by Daniel Cormier. But nobody in the history of Daniel Cormier's career, who's an elite fighter, just got shut off by a by a punch inside the clinch. I, I do think, to your point, that Angano fight being so recently before that was a factor there. But again, we saw that Stipe is a superior fighter. The only way, and I spoke about this leading up to the third fight, which is why I picked Stipe uh, against Cormier in the third time, was the only way that Stipe is, uh, the only way that Cormier is going to beat Stipe is either with a lucky early shot, or if it's only a three-round fight and DC can just put all his energy out there uh, in those in those two and a half rounds and win a decision that way, a five-round is going to be very difficult for him to survive after winning three rounds because he has to exert so much energy to beat Stipe in those three rounds, right? And then he's exhausted afterward. That's why he tempered himself in that third fight, but that wasn't that that wasn't going to give him enough to beat Stipe. That just wasn't going to be enough if he was going to have the gas tank to go all 25 minutes. Here, Stipe is going up against a very different style matchup, a guy that he's fought before, a guy that was certainly less mature, right? From my understanding, he was partying back then. He really kind of took a lot of the yes men around him. He took them very seriously and believed that he was uh, the uncrowned heavyweight champ going into that Stipe Miocic bout. He was also the favorite then, and we saw that he clearly wasn't ready for it. And here's the issue. Francis Ngannou since then has gone on to lose that terrible decision against uh, Derek Lewis, right? Which, what does that show you? Much like that Stipe Miocic lost, it shows you a mental weakness. It's not that he couldn't beat Derek Lewis. It's that he was too afraid to try, it seemed like, in that in that matchup, given what he just came off of against Stipe Miocic. Will that play back into his mind, right? The most weak and, and, and helpless that he's ever looked in his entire career. The only moment he's ever been domi- moments he's ever been dominated in his MMA career was against Stipe Miocic, and here he is fighting that same guy. And Stipe has confidence up the wazoo. He still really believes in himself, but that shutoff power by Francis Ngannou is a serious factor. He just needs to land one clean, clean strike to knock him out. So, look, we, we all know Stipe's, uh, he's essentially a really good wrestle boxer, makes overall, I think, really good decisions in there. I think his camp is really dedicated to him, and even though they haven't really come out with a whole bunch of other high-level fighters, they they have dealt really well with Stipe. They've put together the right strategies. Stipe's going to have the advantage in wrestling technique, but Ngannou's going to have the size and strength advantage, especially I don't know if you remember when they first fought, Stipe weighed in at around 245 pounds, right? And he was able to take Nganu down. His last couple of fights, he weighed in at 230, 232. So we're talking about up to 12, 15 pounds lighter than when he first fought Nganu. Will he still have the strength to take him down? 
probably I'm not as sure given the, the lack of leverage that that extra 15 pounds can provide. Stipe is going to have the cardio and conditioning benefit, right? And Ganu has not gone uh, uh, past a past even a couple of minutes following those two decisions that he had with Stipe and Derek Lewis. But for Nganu, this is a home game. He trains basically at the facility that they're going to be competing in. He lives in Vegas. He regularly uses UFC PI for recovery, for nutrition, etc. All those guys around him are constantly working with Nganu, right? This is very much a home game for him. Stipe is going to have the footwork advantage. At times, it was really a simple for Stipe to avoid Nganu's strikes in that first fight. It was just lateral movement. He would just move sideways, and Nganu couldn't really chase him with his offense like he tried to a couple times, the way that he successfully did in his last fight against Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Right? He just literally ran forward, throwing sloppy strikes, which again shows me another sign of mental weakness with Nganu. He couldn't keep his shit together. He knew he was fighting a really heavy striker, and he just like blew up, kind of like he did against Stipe. It was incredibly sloppy, and he acknowledged that it was sloppy. Uh, but it wasn't a good look. Stipe has the five-round experience, fought uh, about 54 minutes since their first fight, whereas Ngannou will have the chin advantage. He took less damage since then. But outside of that Derek Lewis decision in which almost nothing happened, he fought two minutes and 42 seconds in total between his last four fights. Correct. But to be fair, um, in the second and third Cormier fight, Stipe, if I recall, Stipe landed many, many, many more shots. Cormier didn't really box him up. He really conserved his energy. And when Cormier was uh, winning the fight, it was against the cage or because he was able to take him down. Yeah, um, I mean, it was, it was because Cormier was I guess the first. I guess the first, round, the first round of the second fight. Yeah, the first round of the second fight, Cormier boxed. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, would, I actually think the first couple of rounds of, of that second fight, he did really well. But it's you're right, because you're right. Cormier yeah. is willing to exert all of his energy. It's part of the reason why Connor usually wins, right? He has serious power in his left hand. And if he's willing to exert his energy early on, he's probably going to get most guys out of there. But it's when you get through that first round and you're an elite fighter, you're probably going to take care of business against him. And it's probably similar with Nganu. What I think Stipe should do, what I think will bring him success in this fight is he has to feint lots of faint feints with his hands uh, to draw out Ngannou's counter, right? Because Ngannou, he doesn't set up his counter strikes. He's a brilliant natural counter striker in that if you're throwing at him and if you're in the pocket with him, he is going to do the exact right thing and swing right toward your head with an uppercut or a right hand or a left hook that's going to knock your block off. But he's not setting that up, right? He's relying on guys like um, guys like GDS to lunge forward sloppily in fear of getting countered with a right hand and then you're completely out of position and he's going to clock you across the head. It was kind of similar with Alistair Overeem, right? It's almost like Alistair Overeem's coaches were like, you have to make a point early and show him that you're boss. So I want you to go in there and land a big right hand. And what did Overeem do? He went in there, landed a big right hand, partially in fear, got clocked and knocked out completely, right? So it does seem like it takes major mistakes for Ngannou to land those shots. And I feel like Stipe, especially having had the experience having fought him the first time, is less likely to make those mistakes, certainly less likely than just about any other heavyweight. Um, so he, he has to be constant with his fakes and feints to draw Ngannou's counters. He has to throw calf kicks. I think that's going to be a major part of the key. We've never really seen Stipe throw calf kicks. We've seen him throw leg kicks recently. Both guys have actually added that to their game since the first time they fought, which I think should make this more interesting. Um, but I think Stipe throwing calf kicks will make it so that Ngannou can't put weight on his front leg which means Nganu can't really generate the kind of power he needs to because Stipe, if he's smart, is not going to be going forward with punches in order to give Nganu the knockout shot. So I think staying out of range is key, kind of like the way that Blackways did against Adesanya, right? Where he didn't uh, throw more than one or two strikes at a time right. because knowing that if you do that against Adesanya, you hang out in that pocket with him, he will clock you and he will potentially knock you out. Now, obviously with Nganu, that's a much higher likelihood, even though he's much less skilled. Stipe can rely on throwing punches, can't rely on throwing punches first because that's exactly what Nganu uh, gets knockout wins. Nganu fought five different opponents since then and took little to no damage. Stipe's fought one opponent three times and took lots of damage, including a knockout loss. That is really a big thing that worries me. Uh, leading up to this fight, Stipe spoke about evolving his game plan since the sport evolves, right? Which is interesting to me. That choice of verbiage, that could possibly be a hint about his intention to throw calf kicks. Since I, I think that technique is probably the most recent kind of illustration of how the sport can evolve. One technique is being used a couple times and it just debilitates an opponent and suddenly almost everybody is employing that into their game. He talked about, uh, Stipe did how he sure that Nganu focused on his wrestling defense and ground game 
So you can't really rely on just those same things working that worked last time. Another thing to consider is that Stipe is not in fear of Francis Ngannou's power like some of his previous opponents have been. Like, he's cautious of it. He's aware that it's there. He's, he's aware to be careful. But he's not, like, scared shitless to throw really sloppy and leave himself out of position. Like I said, like JDS did, right? I think that's exactly the right mindset and strategy if my guess about calf kicks is correct. My concerns are as follows. Ngannou has more power in his hands than anyone else in the sport. Stipe was knocked out by DC and took almost an hour's worth of damage against him between their three fights. So there's a fair chance that the same clean-ish shots that uh, hurt, that didn't hurt Stipe the first time, they might just shut him off this time. But I will be rooting for Stipe. I think that if he can get this win, and then if he can beat John Jones, and as of this moment, I believe he can because I think John Jones is a fraction of his former self, although there's lots of tapes to watch and I realize Jones is faster. I think he's going to be the by far heavyweight goat. I think he's going to have a serious claim to being the pound for pound best fighter on the planet at the moment, especially with a guy like Khabib retired. So I am there with you. I'm inching slightly towards Stipe. I'm going to go with the guy with more technique over the guy with more power, even though it's insane power. And let's keep in mind, in the last UFC event, we had four guys who are less technical who picked up wins because they had more power. So it's not that simple. I will be rooting for Stipe. I'm picking him by a small margin. Definitely not as confident as you are. Definitely wouldn't be my second pick. My next pick is going to be... Well, I, well, I just want to be clear. I've made this pick now because I've got balls, whereas... You know, yeah, sure. That's, you? you know, whatever feels good. Um, and, uh, and, and then we'll talk about the result of this event, and we'll talk about which one of, which one of us has bigger balls and which one of us has more points. Now... My next pick, Nikolai. <laughs> My next pick is going to be in the Shane Young versus Omar Morales matchup. Morales seems like if he's fighting a striker, right, he'll go tit for tat for from like a level five striker to a level ten striker, right? And it's a guy that's more dynamic and creative. Uh, like in his last bout against Chika Jigadze, that's where he had trouble. And obviously Chika Jigadze being a lot more aggressive than he has been really throughout his UFC career in that matchup really helped him because I think if Jiga played his usual game, it would have been a, a, a nip-tuck decision that could have easily gone either way. Shane Young got knocked out you know, a few months ago. He is a pressure fighter. He's really exciting. He kind of pitter-patters mostly, but then times the right bomb every once in a while, which I think is a really great way to fight if you're a pressure fighter. It's it's Diaz-like, but I, I would say there's I would say there's a little more intent and power behind it. Um, and obviously he's got less of a ground game. I'm going to pick Omar Morales. I think that his kickboxing acumen, I think, is a little bit bigger in this matchup. I think the fact that Shane Young is coming off of a knockout loss, the fact that this fight, by the way, was called off at some point because Shane Young has been training with um, Volkanovski, who was pulled because he tested positive. I guess Shane Young tested negative enough times since then so that they put the bat back on. I can see that messing more with Shane Young's head than with Omar's. Uh, I'm going with Omar Morales in this one. I agree with you. I'm going to go with Morales for all the reasons that you picked. Uh, I like the Venezuelan fighter uh, despite the Giga Chikadze loss. Um, and Ludovic Klein, uh, you know, everything that's going on with his camp right now with COVID combined with the fact that he was on the, op the wrong end of a highlight reel head kick KO yeah. against Ludovic Klein. It wasn't that long ago, I don't think. Um, not long enough. Not long enough, yeah. I, so I'm going to go with Morales also. You know, I'm going to go with the, um, in the flyweight women's fight. Although I'm a big fan of the Canadian Jillian Robertson. Um, follow, you know, following her last fight, uh, I just... She, she strikes me as someone who doesn't, isn't able to operate a plan B if she can't push towards that sub. And I think that Miranda Maverick is is a little raw, but like athletic, well-rounded, and is going to give lots of different looks and throw different things at her. I also think that she's um, likely going to be stronger uh, in the cage. So I just I have trouble seeing the Canadian Robertson uh, being able to uh, implement her plan against the House of Muay Thai fighter in uh, in Maverick. Yeah, Robertson is a solid wrestler, good top position grappler. She hasn't quite taken to the striking at a high level yet, though, even though she's working on it. She also loses steam if she gets resistance in the first round, and it seems like if there's like a tide against her in between that first and second round, like it's all downhill from there. Maverick is also a good top position grappler with good wrestling offense, but her defensive wrestling has looked bad at times. She did display some good offensive striking in her UFC debut against a mediocre opponent, though. 
but she kept her head in the center line the entire time and was regularly getting tagged by counters, again, against a mediocre fighter. So I'd say her offensive game overall is great, but her defense is really lacking. This is a tough fight to pick. Robertson has looked great against sub-UFC-level fighters who are not very athletic. Maverick seems pretty athletic, and I think she belongs in the UFC, so I'll favor her to win at least two of the three rounds. But Maverick's takedown defense is a serious liability, so I would highly recommend a prop bet on Jillian Robertson by decision, Nick. This is shocking. This fight is extremely likely to go to decision. For some reason, Jillian Robertson is a slight underdog by decision, plus 405. Please invest in that. 50 to 100 bucks. It is worth it. If you want to be safe and put Maverick in a two-fighter parlay, you can do that as kind of a hedge. But I just feel like this is almost a 50-50 fight, and this is going to decision. Plus four or five odds for one of them is fantastic. That will do it for that one. My next pick, I'm going to I'm going to pick in the Jared Gooden versus Abubakar Nurmagomedov matchup. Here's the thing. Jared Gooden actually looked like pretty decent in his UFC debut against the much more experienced uh, fighter. He did. Uh, Alan Joban he fought and Joban outstruck him largely Jared like he's offensively good right he throws like pretty solid shots he's got almost a trigger counter as soon as you throw at him he's going to counter with that with that straight uh, cross or that jab cross but he kind of keeps his head in the center line he looks a little bit rigid at times and I know that a couple of years back he lost a decision to Mike Michael Graves I believe his name is a former American top team fighter who got canned from the UFC for domestic abuse, I think. Um, he lost a decision to him based on just getting out-wrestled. Abubakar Nurmagomedov is a big favorite here, minus 240. The only reason he is a big favorite is because his last name is Nurmagomedov and not Jones. If his last name was anything but Nurmagomedov, he, this would have been damn close to a pick -em. Like, he he fought a mediocre opponent in his UFC debut, took him down, or got outstruck, right? Took him down really nicely, couldn't really get dominant position, and then got submitted out of nowhere. Like, embarrassingly submitted in the first round with Khabib Nurmagomedov in his corner, who I believe is like his second cousin or something. Um, look, I'm going to pick Abubakar Nurmagomedov because purely of his wrestling. I don't think Jared Gooden is going to be throwing up a whole lot of submissions, but Jared Gooden has a really good shot of catching a knockout here. So I would say that a, a, you know, a, a, a tidy bet on him wouldn't be the worst thing Uh just there's some value there given these odds. Again, the freaking last name is the only reason he's such a big favorite. It makes no sense. He looked terrible in his UFC debut and honestly looked mediocre in his couple fights before that. But again, I'm picking him because of his wrestling advantage in this one. Yes, I'm I'm with you, but I think yeah, I think all of these are, are more or less pickums now. Um oof. I think that Malarkey's really tough and that Worthy got uh, you know got destroyed. Uh, in his last fight. And I don't think that Kama Worthy is as good of a kickboxer as, uh, or striker as Brad Riddell or as Faris. Uh, uh, Faris uh, uh, was also a striker, right? Who had, he, uh, yeah, he he's, he's mostly a striker. He beat, he beat up Malarkey on the feet. Um, um, he he did, but I, I just want to say quickly that that probably should have gone Malarkey's way. That was a super. I thought I had, I, yeah, I thought I had him. I had Malarkey. I just think I think Malarkey's tougher than Worthy, frankly, and I don't oh, think that tough. he. Yeah. And I don't think that he's gonna have. Um, I think I think Worthy's gonna be trouble for you know two to three minutes. Um, I don't think he's gonna knock out Malarkey, and I could see. Uh, it sounds so ridiculous every time I say Malarkey. I, I think I could see I could see Malarkey uh, dominating positions, uh, being really strung up against the cage, and and just being a brick wall that that worthy's um that worthy's slickness and power uh is not is not able to stop uh yeah i i do see where you're coming from there this is ext an extremely tough uh fight to pick i'm glad you picked that super one tough i'm i'm a little bit it's more very confident. tough to pick yeah i'm a little more confident in one of the other two fights that we have left so i'm glad you picked this one um Karma used to be a journeyman, but is now on a seven and one streak over the last three plus years. Uses fakes to draw out opponents' offense, very awkward fakes, so he can counter. That's how he actually knocked out Devontae Smith in his UFC debut on short notice. Counters with one or two shot uh, power shots, and it, usually a combo, right? It's very rarely just one shot. Good right kicks, goes to the body quite a bit, crafty overall, and sounds bright and confident in uh, interviews. He's been knocked out in six 
of his seven losses, though. So his chin is yeah. definitely questionable. He can't be taken down and controlled by a good grappler, as we saw in that second round against Luis Pena. Malarkey is a pressure fighter, goes for takedowns, um, has a really good, like, he'll slip your jab and land that right hand. Super clean, really nice stuff. Relentless mentally, right? Like, he was roughed up by Brad Rudell throughout that fight, but he never stopped trying. He never quit. He never folded like a lot of guys we, we've seen. Uh, we've seen a lot of guys do. And he actually knocked Brad Riddell down with a left hook, which is impressive, right? Not very athletic overall, though. He, like, is working on it. He, he clearly is working on his overall MMA game. He just doesn't have the athleticism, I think. If he was athletic, he would be, uh, I think, his ceiling would be so much higher. Malarkey will give Karma something to counter, and Karma hits very hard when you give him that. But Malarkey has a serious chin and grit for days. I think he's smart enough to go for takedowns, which is where Karma looked kind of fragile against Pena. Yes, the thing is that like he doesn't hold guys well in that position once he does take you down. And Karma, you know, ah, he didn't get up against Pena. Look, his chin concerns me, but Malarkey hasn't shown that much power besides the knockdown over Brad Riddell. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, just to disagree with you. I'm gonna go with Karma Worthy. Why not? We live once. Um, I'll, I'll have a chance at having something over you if it does work out this way, but it really is a pickup, man. It really could go either way. Karma Worthy does have a little more skill than I think you give him credit for, though. My next pick is going to be in the Mikhail Olyanenchuk versus Modestas Bukakis matchup. This matchup is kind of interesting. Mikhail should absolutely be fighting at 185. He looked good in his first four or so UFC fights and then lost two in a row against like veterans. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't even know if veterans is the right term because one of those losses was to Jimmy Crude, who's a prospect. Um, and then he did lose to OSP after dominating him and roughing him up in the first round. He was exhausted in the second. I think if he cuts down, his game would work really well at 185. I don't know if it's the right game for uh, light heavyweight, but Modesta, Modestas Bukakis, he is not really that skilled. He has good conditioning. He's a large guy, right? If he elbows you, with his 70, I don't know, 78, 76-inch reach, he's probably going to buzz you. But I don't think he has the durability to hang in there with McCall early. McCall is super dangerous with this pressure early. I think he's going to be able to get hands on Modestus and possibly, and likely, I, I'm going to say, get a knockout. So I like Mikhail Olejanenchuk in this matchup. I'm curious what he's been up to over the last uh, year or so that he's been out, year and a half probably, that he's been out. But uh, but I do have uh, Mikhail, who I was kind of tabbing as a prospect back in the day, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping he can still come through and show some conditioning in the near future. Yeah, I had the same pick in the in the in the Scrabble face-off. Uh, sometimes like I'm driven to pick Modestus because he looks so much um, like Rory McDonald, but that's not enough <laughs> of a reason. So I'm gonna go with the uh, with the Polish fighter, and uh, although I don't expect this to be a very entertaining bout. Oh, it's I think it's likely because of uh, Modestus' lack of durability and McCall's power early, and then McCall getting tired late if he doesn't finish him, and then Modestus can really take over with power. So I think either way, this should be a this should be yeah. a barn burner, honestly. I feel I I don't know I've got, I just got the feeling that sometimes there's there's like middleweight and light heavyweight fights that that devolve into um, guys just looking looking slow and labored and missing bombs. And I, I feel yeah. like that might happen here, but you know, that. what do I know? Um, I'm going to pick the guy you've been staying away from uh, the <laughs> entire fight uh, based on his, uh, the fact that he's criminally insane um, <laughs> and, and packs a punch, even if he's not as uh, potentially as good as, as his brother, I'm going to choose Abu Azatar to defeat the French Canadian um, 11 and four fighter, Mark Andre Barriot who has good, uh, a good, I think a good all around game out of, you know, fighting out of, out of Quebec city. Um, and pretty good. Uh, I mean, he's got, he's got, you know, he's got okay pop, uh, and he's not, he's not bad on the ground. I just think this is going to be, I think he's going to get clipped, uh, by Abu Azatar. Yeah. Um, I disagree with the pick, although again, it's, it's a pick em. There's a reason it's the last pick on our list, right? Um, here's why I like Marc-Andre Barriou really more than any other reason. It's his goddamn name, Nick. It's so much fun to say. Marc-Andre Barriou. It's wonderful, Nick. I, I really you don't do say it very that. well. Hey, Marc-Andre Barriou. Uh, you probably you probably do say it better than me, but like when I say it in my head, Bar-Yu. it sounds like a Bar-Yu. really good French. Bar-Yu. Yeah. Bar-Yu. Okay, good for you. No, Bellevue. Oh, that Seriously, feels so good. You. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm I'm going with Mark Andre Beriu for a couple of reasons. One, Abu Aizatar, like he swings just as wild as his brother. Doesn't have as much power. And because he doesn't have as much power, his fights can go later, and therefore we've seen him gas out once or twice, right? So Marc-Andre Berriou is the opposite, where he gets stronger as the fight goes on. Both of these guys, actually, Nick, are coming off of steroid suspensions. And so, like, I could see how for Abu Azatar, how he can find a way to work on his cardio without necessarily putting the proper work in in the gym. Marc-Andre Bayou looked the best that he ever has in his last fight. He only got a six-month suspension because I guess it was a very low level of, um, what was it? Uh, he posited uh, Osterone or something, which is like a pretty egregious thing to, to take, but apparently they, they assume it was a t- tainted supplement. I'm going to go with it, Marc-Andre Bayou because he has staying power late because he has a good chin from what I've seen, so it's not super likely that he gets knocked out early. And I like if he comes in as aggressive as he did in his last fight, and stays somewhat defensively minded. I think he should be able to do okay against Abu Azaitar, but uh, again, not a whole lot of confidence in this pick. Nikolai, that'll do it for this card. Man, it has been ravaged, Nick. Just picked apart by the MMA. Yeah, guys. we're really we're really missing. We're really going to miss uh, Brian T. C. Ortega against uh, the champion Volkanovski. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely the most... I mean, here's the thing. The main event, while extremely intriguing... There's really only one of two outcomes. I'll be shocked if it's not either a finish in the first three minutes for Nganu or Stipe domination um, and a lot of top control. We're, we're not going to see we're not going to see a fight that even though Jan Blachowicz won uh, won convincingly, there there was a lot uh, there was still a considerable amount of drama. I thought in that fight and it was intriguing yeah, every step on. of the way. Once, once Ngannou is once Ngannou's breathing heavy and is is in deep waters, like Stipe will really have to trip over himself in order to lose, and so I I just have trouble seeing it coming in anywhere in between those two outcomes. Whereas Ortega Volkanovski, like it's very hard to see that fight not being thrilling, pillar to post. If there's just, if there was a finish, it would be a big surprise. Just guaranteed to be action-packed and interesting. I mean, Volkanovski hasn't, you know, I don't think he knows what a, what a, I don't think either one of those guys knows how to have a boring fight. No, I, I think you're right. And, and here's the thing, Volkanovski, he can't slow down a fight like he did against uh, Jose Aldo. He can make a fight like not super entertaining, even though they're striking the whole time, like he did the first time against um, Max Holloway. But you're right, Brian Ortega generally, you know, moves forward, generally trying to finish at all times. And this new version of him that we saw last time, I'd love to see that oh, yeah. kind of continue here. This was a very different opponent, granted, but, you know, a pretty dangerous opponent that he beat their Korean zombie, this iteration of him anyway. And yeah, we, we lost out on this fight. We lost out on Johnny Walker versus Jimmy Crute. That could have done a lot for this card. I would have been happy if Blagoje Ivana versus Marcin Tybura was on this card, like a pretty pretty high-level top 12 MMA Sure. Uh, a mixed martial arts bout, right, for heavyweight. Uh, Manyfield, William Knight, I would have had a slight preference, although I do think that Manyfield versus Fabio uh, Charant will be more exciting. It'll be more fun to watch. Um, I, I think I think it would have just been a little bit more interesting had this card stay in, intact. But, man, like I said before, uh, Tyron Woodley and Vincente Luque, that's the co-main event, presumably, right? That fight and we're going to talk about last week's card and ESPN all the shenanigans that took like place the there. Level yeah. UFC events that they put on. It's just Even not worse, like... Fight Pass. Fight Pass card. Facebook prelims, motherfucker. Oh, man. That, that, it... Yeah, that, that, is some, that is some low shit. Let me ask you this. What what odds do you give Stipe Miocic of clipping Nganu? Like, he caught him pretty clean several times in the last fight, you know, in the latter yeah, rounds. Of a, uh, of a finish? Yeah, of, of knocking him down plus, or out. Plus 600. Really that far? I wonder if the odds makers agree with you. Um, I, I look. I, I tend well, to find out. Look it up. Look it up. You got. Come on. You got some technology in front of you. Look that shit up right now. It might be the only one that has. I feel like I'm being bullied, but I'm gonna do it because I. Well, you know all the you know all the gambling sites. You're the one. With, you're the one with the fucking problem, not me. I got 99 problems, but gambling ain't one. Not you know what I'm wait till wait till your bets on this card land. So take a look. Tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stepe. Stepe. I'm, I'm hang. I'm, ha- I'm hangry. Uh, Plus yeah, two fifteen, Nick. But to be fair, that that, that includes like wait, a ground and pound finish. Wait, hang on, Stepe yeah. is it's only plus two fifteen for a Miocic yes. finish. Yes, but at the against same the time, guy that's against the guy yeah. that's never been finished. Yes, and at the same time, Jillian Robertson by decision, plus four hundred five. I'm just saying I, that is a worthy I think investment. I think 
I, I don't know. I think plus 215 is way too generous. I expected it to be much higher than that. Um, oh, you, you, well, I, I think generous would be the plus 600 you, uh, you alluded to, but, but I, I, do, I kind of see what you're saying. No, well, that's, ge that's generous to Nganu. I'm talking about generous to Stipe. Oh, I see. I see, I see what you're saying. Um, and then we've got Nganu by knockout. What do you think the odds are on that? Um, plus 180. Minus 105. Plus 180. I'm kind of, I'm going to shock. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant minus 180. Oh, fair enough. Um, and then we have Engano wins in round one, which I think is probably one bet. If you're going to make on Engano, that's probably the one to make, um, is plus yeah, 225. Minus... Really? That's see, yeah. having those, having those other be, fav be favorites to happen and giving and having him more likely to get a. That's that makes no sense to me. If he's going to finish, he's going to finish in the first. I, I yeah, um, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. And by the way, just in case you think he has enough steam to finish in the second, you want to throw a little bit of money on that plus five fifty, motherfucker. All right. For Enganu, I mean, and and then yeah, it's I mean, again, look, these prop bets are super super risky, right? Like you're essentially betting on one extremely specific thing happening, and if it's not a decision in a women's fight, if it's not a decision in a, in a fight between two guys that don't generally finish, uh, who have high durability. You know, it's it, those prop bets can be risky. It's just with Nganu as a first round knockout or a first round finish, not the worst bet to make if you ask me. Generally. Send me send me the site where you're looking up those prop bets because I, you know, I'm I'm just gonna put the kids' college fund on that shit. So what you're saying um, is that it's not me who has a problem; it's you who's encountering. Well, no, just for well, no, for one week, I want to have some empathy and try to live through your shoes. <laughs> Fair um, enough. So, and then, um, and, and Tyra Woodley, you, you're expecting him to just basically lay down and like, here's the thing. He's been trying in the first couple of minutes and then he gets clocked once and then he stops throwing shit. And I think that's probably how this fight is going to go. Yeah. I, I listen until he proves otherwise, you know? Yeah. He's, he's just been looking so terrible and he keeps saying the exact same thing after every yeah. one of these fights in which he gets dominated. Uh, so Nikolai, no card next week. Uh, maybe we'll get together, record an episode, and 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 maybe talk about you know the results of this card. But no card next week, so we're gonna have a little bit of time off of doing research. Uh, is it Easter or something? Why the fuck isn't there a card next week? Yeah, Dana White's a very religious man, and uh, uh. he doesn't fuck around with this stuff, Nikolai. Oh, and then the, and then the the, the tenth is the ABC card. Oh, we got. Um, oh, that's April 9th Is is Machida Bader too? Oh, I really don't want Bader to get revenge on that. Mighty Mouse is fighting. Patricio Pitbull against Emmanuel Sanchez. That's pretty interesting. That's next week. Um, so there's, oh, so you're saying there's some non-UFC fights. If you really combine all the names in between one and Bellator next week, you basically have yourself uh, kind of a UFC main card, at least, I would think. Yeah, you got, um, yeah, you got Bader, Bader Machida, too. You got Adriano Moraes against Mighty Mouse. And you got Patricio Pitbull against Emmanuel Sanchez. And that's just the main events. Yep. Uh, Nick, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at the UFC card two weeks from now. That's headlined by Marvin Vittori and Darren Till. Um, and if you like look at this card, way better overall undercard than is in this in this like big pay per view in which they're expecting like I'm a lot of. I'm super excited for that because Vittori is going to bring it to Till. Yeah. So do you? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that would be interesting for many Arnold reasons. Island. Nina Ansaroff, Mackenzie Dern. That's, that's a really great fight. Finally, they've got like Love yeah. It's like fight. all right, Dern. Dern, your prospect days are over. You're gonna. You're. You're. You know. You're in it. Yeah, but, but also Nina Ansaroff just gave birth like within the last several months, so it's almost like the UFC matchmaker's going, uh, she recently had a kid and came back quickly. She recently had a kid and wants to come back quickly. Let's put them together. Uh, but I, I'm into the matchup. I think that'll be interesting. And then we have uh, Ali Askab Tugria versus Kyle Dukas. I don't know who this Ali Askab guy is. I assume he's a close relative of Khabib. We'll have Khabib in his corner. Uh, not sure about that at all, by the way. But you know, a 13 and 0 guy versus Kyle Dukas, who seems uh, Dukas, who seems like a serious prospect. Mike Perry versus Benil Rashidov. Uh, what do you think about this card? Uh, I'm not sure. 